Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast counting down the number one singles in the ARIA charts throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Uh, Wizzle Wazzle. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Hello. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. No, call me Mr. Vane. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Vane. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about another five songs that... Uh, were number one in the Australian charts throughout 1993. These five songs actually take us from the 28th of August 1993 until November, ooh, about mid-December 1993, and it's the last of the 93 songs. Uh, and look, might as well just get into it, right, guys? Let's. Oh, yeah. Our first song of tonight is Billy Joel with River of Dreams. Any old River of Dreams. Oh, that River of Dreams. (laughs) River of Dreams, the one that is badly drawn on the album cover of this album. It was number one for just one week on the 28th of August, 1993. Casey Atkins. Oh, me first. Okay. Um, Yeah, this is a funny one. I I think I didn't mind it back in 1993. I kind of liked Billy Joel then. Um, I didn't love it, but I certainly didn't hate it. And what, don't dance. <laughs> um, I, I guess I thought that it was a little bit naff, but I didn't really hate it. And now, when I listen to it this week again, I thought I thought it's a little bit naff, but I'm sorry, I couldn't hate it. I couldn't. I did try. I, I really did. <laughs> and there's a lot about it to not like, but there's just enough in it to still like that. I just was like, no, oh, okay, yeah, I can't really hate on it. The thing about it. And the thing that just sort of kept me going in this is that I just really like Billy Joel's voice. I just think he's got a great singing voice and I like yeah. listening to it. And there's just a couple of little bits in it that that, that I quite enjoy. I, the backing vocals give me the shits. Um, the piano should be louder. There's there's a lot of things that aren't right, but there's kind of enough things that, that, that keep me going in this one, I'm afraid. I don't know. No, it's okay. Embarrassed to say, but I just, yeah. I don't love it, but just I kind of hate it. It's fine. Tim Coyle, what about you? Yeah, my parents owned a lot of Billy Joel when I was growing up, so he was kind of ubiquitous. And I, I kind of I had liked the Stormfront album when it came out. I think it's nineteen eighty nine. And I was an innocent man boy myself. I, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I still was at the stage. This came out and, and enjoyed it. Uh, flash forward to now. God, I fucking hate Billy Joel. <laughs> I hate Billy Joel so much. Is um, the American author Joe Queenan uh, wrote mm. wrote a book, um, Red Lobster, White Trash, and the Blue Lagoon, which features a whole chapter, which is just an evisceration of Billy Joel, in which he described his work as uh, no other artist has written so many songs that, on first hearing, immediately qualified for that desert island dream list you'd compile for your worst enemy. And, you know, he's been really kind. And this song, (laughs) Jesus Christ, I hate this song. It's just, you feel as though he's going to break out into whimmerways at any moment. It's it's an off-cut from the Lion King soundtrack. It's got that really vapid baby boomer pursuit of spirituality in their kind of middle-aged thing going on. And just, yeah, everything about it sucks. This sucks. (laughs) Now, Tim Byron, and before I get to you, Tim Byron, um, 
I think you have a very different relationship with Billy Joel than the rest of us because you are a piano player, right? Yeah, so I do play piano, and so um, learning piano and having people having my dad tell everyone that I played piano a lot, which he did. Um, one of the first things they would ask is, "Can you play piano, man?" Uh huh. Could you play and piano? I can't. Man? Yeah. Really? No. Doesn't sound like it's a difficult song. That's not the issue. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want to. Um, the yeah, so I didn't really ever want to. J- JD's just pointing at me and saying, "I can, I can play it," and I'm like. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> uh, so Billy, Billy Joel, um, with River of Dreams, in, in a funny way, Billy Joel actually wasn't a constant present in, presence in my household. Like, I knew we didn't start the fire, and I really liked we didn't start the fire. And I guess I knew songs from radio and stuff, like, um, I guess, Uptown Girl and stuff. But, um, yeah, I didn't really have that much Billy Joel in my life. But um, in 1993, when this came out, I loved River of Dreams. I thought it was the greatest song. Like, it was just so catchy. It's got all those cool bits in it. I didn't, you know, um, you know, there's just so much catchiness in that song. And um, it's got all the clever kind of little bits like that little, there's that little sort of small piano bit in the middle, which is the only bit that actually has piano in the song that he just puts in because he's Billy Joel and he's the piano man and he's got to have a piano bit. Yeah. Like, bits like that kind of, like, make me, you know, make me laugh now. But, um, yeah, I, I liked this well enough at the time. It was a catchy kind of upbeat song. Um, I was sort of too young to, um, to find him that objectionable. And yeah, so at the time I thought this was great listening to it now. I I don't hate it. I sort of feel a bit like Casey. There's things in the song that make me cringe a little bit, but it's still kind of an upbeat kind of fun song that I don't really hate. And, um, and Tim Coyle is wrong about Billy Joel. If if he put a Billy Joel on his, um, you know, if I, if I was Tim Coyle's worst enemy and he put Billy Joel on that list... Um, of, of like the songs I would have to hear in Desert Island, I'd be like, yeah, could be worse. Yeah, could be D- Daryl Summers. Daryl Summers. <laughs> or, sorry, could be Daryl Braithwaite. Daryl Braithwaite. <laughs> <laughs> it could also have been Daryl Summers. Been Daryl Summers, <laughs> and that would be terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, look, I, I, I listening to this song this week. I kind of am trying to think about what I felt about it at the time. It was actually, I think, like. Uh, Tim and Casey, just kind of a fine radio single. Mm. And my view on Billy Joel at the time was I knew two other songs by him, and the two they were the two that Tim Byron mentioned, which is We Didn't Start the Fire and Uptown Girl. Uh-huh. And so at the time, I kind of thought he was kind of a novelty guy. I didn't really heard that many songs to go, oh, that isn't as good as Piano Man. I probably heard Piano Man by that point, but I guess yeah. um, I didn't think that much of him. I had low expectations, and this song met them quite well, <laughs> I guess. Um, and it's a fine little pop single. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but it does one thing mm. three times. Sure. And it's a kind of a harkening back to that doo-wop thing that he did with Uptown Girl and Longest Time or whatever. But, um, yeah, a fine It's a very song. New Jersey kind of song. You think? It's a very New Jersey kind of song. Yeah, it's a Frankie Valley thing he's trying to do. Yeah. That's oh, what he's trying yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, he grew up yeah, yeah. With a bit of Bruce Springsteen in there with like lyrics about the promised land and that kind of stuff, which I'm sure Tim Coyle is going to love. Which, given he grew up on Long Island, makes sense. Growing up on Long, <laughs> Long Island, when he grew up on Long Island. And, yeah, it, it was interesting doing the research on Billy Joel this week insofar as a lot of his fan base will compare him to Bruce Springsteen, even though... Mm. Yeah, I think maybe a lot of Bruce Springsteen's fan base will, will there'll be crossover there, but a lot of Springsteen's fan base won't be able to stomach Billy Joel necessarily. I think you have too high opinion of Springsteen's fan base because you're part of it. Very possibly, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Tim, you didn't really... So, you said that when you were younger, Billy Joel was sort of there just to make you sort of pay at family dinners and play Piano Man, but... Have you... Which I didn't do. Yes. I didn't bother learning that song. Yes, listeners, just to be clear, he never did it. He was never a sister. But, like... Um, <laughs> Kaysan, on the other hand. <laughs> but, but, from like, you know, just like we asked Casey when it comes to really sort of guitar-driven songs, as a piano player, how do you feel about Billy Joel in general? Well, yeah, Billy Joel in general, uh, as a piano player, he's a good enough piano player. I like um, Elton better. Billy Joel does mm. this sort of thing as a piano player. Like, he's a very sort of classical kind of piano player and, and he's sort of, his playing isn't, it doesn't have much um, soul or improvisation or something like that in it. So that's a piano player. He, like, he's fine. He does stuff well. He, he's, you know, he's competent at what he does. He, um, 
you know, there's the bits where he goes into flowery things in his concerts, which is, which is quite good. You know, but I dig him more as a singer-songwriter than a piano player. Um, mm-hmm. I own a fair few Billy Joel records. Uh, my favourite of his records is Glass Houses, which is a great record. Oh, yeah. uh, it's the one that's got um, my, lo- no, Still Rock and Roll to Me, uh, Don't Ask Me Why, yeah. and, um, you know, some some great sort of album track kind of things like All for Lena and Sleeping with the Television on, which I think are great songs. So that's uh, my favourite album of his. I've got the soft spot for, um, you know, songs like Honesty and Allentown, which are sort of trying to do that Bruce Springsteen kind of thing to some extent, and which he does reasonably well as far as I'm concerned. He's, um, you know, Billy Joel is never going to be, um, you know, he's never going to be the next Neil Young, you know, like he doesn't have that kind of thing to him, but he's a pretty competent songwriter from that, just that kind of point of view of songs that are written with like lots of craft. Mm. He's really good at that kind of stuff. And I listen to it and enjoy it on that level. Uh, if I can just say what I think about Billy Joel, mainly because I just want to say I fucking hate Allentown. <laughs> it just sounds like the Who is the Boss theme or something. There's just something so <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh, just like, oh. And he does it in concert all the time. And it's just, it's a, <laughs> it's just really, you know, you have that song by an artist. So just really. Yeah. How often you. have you seen him in concert? I've seen a lot of footage of him in concert. Because <laughs> actually, well, that's the other thing where it's like, I think Billy Joel is fantastic. And, uh, but he always plays Allentown, this shitty song. Like, it's it's as if Paul McCartney always it's did good. Sea Moon. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think Billy Joel had a great run of records throughout, God, I guess it would be the 70s and 80s. Yeah. yeah. You May Be Right is a fantastic song. Great song. I love, Casey mentioned the Innocent Man record, which mm-hmm. was sort of the throwback record, which kind of is what he kind of do, does now, but it had Uptown Girl, but it has... Uh, Tell her about it, which is and the, and the longest, and the longest time. time. Yeah, but tell her about it is just one of the most fun singles. And God, the the album The Stranger is just flawless. I love every single song of that. I guess it's widely regarded as his best. But um, you know, scenes from Italian Restaurant and all those sort of songs. Uh, the Stranger itself, just the way you are. Uh, moving out, like Tim Coyle is suddenly Tim, Tim Coyle is um, his teeth. smiling smugly and, and waiting <laughs> to like just go wham. But we're gonna leave Take Tim Coyle and just quickly get the comments of Billy Joel in general from Casey. Um, yeah, as I say, this and the record was just a huge thing. That was one of the the few records that um, Mum and Dad had on cassette in the car, and I heard like a billion times while I was growing up on car trips and everything. Mm. And and I don't hate it because of that like i i sort of still yeah. like it so you know things like longest time and um and innocent man up tango those kind of songs are just just I, I just love them and in general i don't have a problem with billy joel at all for you know what he is you know still rock and roll to me maybe right a whole bunch of those songs i i like i don't listen to billy joel albums on any um kind of regularity but uh, listening to this this week made me want to listen to Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, which I went and did and, and mm. really enjoyed. Um, and there's some things I just I couldn't be bothered with, but I just get past them these days. I don't have to. <laughs> you know, I, mm. I think it's um, a, a perfectly um, deserving uh, adult contemporary Dying. mainstay. <laughs> Tim Coyle. Uh, yeah, it's a perfectly worthy adult contemporary mainstay it was never going to resonate with the adult me so (laughs) and it doesn't and the thing is the river of dreams is actually nowhere near the most objectionable uh, objectionable billy joel song i think as casey and tim byron have pointed out there, there are some redeeming features to it and it's i mean piano man is probably my most hated song ever Really? Yes. Oh, like that oh God, it's <laughs> so foul. Um, and other complete abominations of the musical form, like she's always a woman to me. Oh, I love that song. Oh, fuck <laughs> yeah, I hate, I hate that, that one. That, really? Yeah. You hate that song? Oh, yeah. It's, oh. it's just sexist yeah, bullshit. Yeah, and, and he comes up with a lot of that. So Uptown Girl has those undertones as well. There's kind of a degree of misogyny to some of those songs and I spoke about the the boomer smugness and the the boomer quest for spirituality and stuff that he indulges in 
all the time. <laughs> and yeah, look, I've got to agree with Ron Rosenbaum, who wrote oh, that yeah. he is a <laughs> dire threat to the peacefulness of any given elevator ride. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to our second song of tonight. Uh, This song was number one for, I feel like, an amazing eight weeks. And it was the highest selling single of 1993. From September 4, 1993, this is Meatloaf with I Do Anything For Love, But I Won't Do That. For the Choose Your Own Adventure 92, I picked Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. So I loved like epic stuff full of pianos that was just like big and pompous that meant nothing. You know, Bismillah, yes, as far as I was concerned with this song. So, um, yeah, in 1993, I loved this. I learned to play this one on piano, uh, unlike P- Piano Man. And, yeah, right. um, and, and yeah, I, I love playing that. Like it's, it's fun to play. And then there's, a, there's the left hand thing. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That was great fun to play on piano. It was, it was awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so I loved that at the time and um, loved it, loved it. And, um, I mean, Meatloaf was, was a thing I knew about already because it was one of my mum's favourite car tapes. When we go on trips in the car, like, Meatloaf was one of the very common things that would be on in the car. And I thought Paradise in the Dashboard Light was just great. And I thought um, mm. Bad Out of Hell was great. I thought Heaven Can Wait and Two Out of Three in Band were boring, kind of sad ballads that should go and not be on this tape, but I like some of it. And this was more of the, the big rock epic kind of thing, so I, I thought this was great in 93. Was the tape a best now, or was it or was it Bad Out of Hell? It was Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, okay, it was that actual album, i.e. the best of me, yeah. but anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and so listening to this now, I, I couldn't stop laughing. This is <laughs> like, there's so much hilarity to this. It's like the, I, I mean, this is basically, I, I listen to this and I, I hear it as being like the musical theatre idea about rock and roll. Yeah. It's like, this is musical theatre's idea of what rock and roll should be. You know, rock and roll should be like, you know, big and loud and like, you know, overblown and epic and kind of operatic and, um, you know, the, the, the kind of thing that this song, like, sort of st- that stands out in this song is the line, um, you know, the line about sex and drums and rock and roll. Yeah. It, it's like they, they, couldn't, they couldn't face actually singing drugs. And I think he possibly made Jim Steinman change that word because he was uncomfortable with singing that uh, meatloaf, I suspect. Um, but, you know, it, it's musical theatre dressed up as rock and roll. And it's hilarious, and I think it's great, because I think it's like a comedy <laughs> song now. Tim Coyle, how do you feel about this song? We're through the looking glass here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't really recall too well what Meatloaf meant to me at 12. <laughs> I think he was already seen as a, a bit of a joke, 
And that was the level that it was pitched at. I do remember that this was this was a huge deal. It was 16 years in the making. And <laughs> sounds like it doesn't us. <laughs> and we'll get into some of the reasons why it sounds like it does uh, in a bit. But, um, yeah, it, it was a big deal. And when it came out, it was kind of, oh, yeah, big opera stuff. And, look, I'll... Preface this with I uh, I love rock operas. I love Tommy. My favorite mm. album of the past five years is Anise Mitchell's Hades Town, which is a folk opera. Um, yeah, I, I love it. But this is just yeah, uh, kind of taking the insanity a little too far. <laughs> and, but listening to this this week, I get on the bus and I'm reading a book about the Thirty Years War at the moment. And look, start with the which defense for longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like the song starts in the defenestration of Prague, and the thing is, you get up to the Treaty of Westphalia. That's the second chorus. I could start another book on German history and get up to Bismarck unifying the whole fucking thing, and this song would still be going. And what are you talking about? You chose no, no, November Rain for the key theory yeah, and This is still longer. <laughs> yeah, and well, only if you listen to the album version. Yeah, the single version is only like yeah, seven minutes long. Seven minutes. And, yeah, the, the video clip, which is directed by Michael Bay and <laughs> is utterly absurd <laughs> in and of itself and completely misses the point of the whole song, but actually adds another layer of meaning to it, which might be more meaningful than the actual meaning. And oh, shit, Michael Bay adding a layer know, of meaning. It, to it, was, it was the one time he he actually managed it, and it was completely unintentional. And yeah, uh, um, it's it's kind of I think as Tim Byron says, it is enjoyable on that outrageously stupid humor level. But yeah, the, there was kind of that thing of it, it's playing and I would tune out halfway through and then I would tune back in and it's kind of what's going on here it's just kind of cycled through another verse and chorus and gone off onto this other tangent and then it's come back again and I'm confused <laughs> I can see that <laughs> Casey Atkins what about you <sighs> um yeah you know what I, I really struggle with this this week I think um back at the time it actually passed me by a little bit, and my memories of it from the time are, again, like we keep talking about, hey, hey, it's Saturday, but God damn it. Oh, yeah, he was on a couple of times. Yeah, and there was a big thing about Meatloaf on hey, hey, it's Saturday, and him and Red Simons had this back and forth thing going on, and I remember him trying to sing this on hey, hey, it's Saturday, and it was one of these rare occasions where they actually did it live, and they started singing it, and he actually stopped, like stopped singing like a couple of lines in and it was like this big deal yeah and and that's kind of my memory of this song um from the time this week was 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 interesting very very interesting i listened to it actually a lot i was i surprised myself by listening to it like probably five times which is like (laughs) it's like that's an hour that's half your day (laughs) (laughs) um and i just i found it Entertaining, I think, is, is probably the best way I could describe it. I think I was really entertained by it. I actually think that female vocal is spectacular. Mm. Um, I think it, it's mm. really, really good. Um, but I also found myself having these funny thoughts like um, there is a point in it where that um, one of the particular themes where it speeds back up again and he does that, I will do anything for love. When that comes in the second time is when my brain goes, well, they're just deliberately making a long song for the sake of making a long <laughs> song here. And, and, and it's really silly because my mind goes, yeah, at the eight minute mark, this just gets silly. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that female vocal saves it for me and I actually find it, like, strangely it, enjoyable. It, on wasn't, it wasn't the guitar sounding like a motorbike at the start. That was no, silly. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a great song. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just find it so joyous to listen to. And much like Tim Byron, I love the excesses of Meatloaf and the Bat Out of Hell, Jim Steinman, Todd Rudgren. Uh, stuff they are just idiotic and bombastic, but 
someone's doing it, and thank God. Like, I mean, it is so, I find it so glorious. So, yeah, uh, it is a song that uh, went at the time, I think I loved, and, and then I loved it listening to this week. Now, at the time, I couldn't find it. I was trying to, but I couldn't find the radio edit. I didn't even look. I mean, surely there is a four-minute version of this song somewhere <laughs> because they wouldn't have played yeah, that, the 12, right? Th- there's this. a five-minute version. There's um, a seven-minute, 45-second version, which is on the video, which has mm. the guitar thing at the start. The, 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 the single version, like which is about five minutes, um, just had like a little bit of piano at the start and then he starts singing. It misses out like the whole big intro thing, which sucks right. because that is the best bit of the song in some ways. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, so it is just a song that I think is fantastic. Now, let's get back to the meat of the matter. <laughs> what is it that he won't do? I Well, the, the, it's, uh, I think the payoff is really funny when the female vocal comes in and the assumption throughout the entire song is that he's talking about cunnilingus. Yeah, or <laughs> able sex or something like that, right? Um, I don't blame you that. I mean, that's... Uh, that's the extreme is a blowjob. Another girl on the other planet is about drugs. I mean, it's so. I I think it's yeah. the same answer as all those songs, which is it's deliberately ambiguous, and there is no clue there. But, and you can look at it to a. But the thing is, um, the Wikipedia page for uh, "I Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That" has a whole section which is one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six paragraphs long. What he won't do uh, entitled "What Is That?" The perceived ambiguity of. Um, that. <laughs> well, unless any of them are, are written by Jim Steinman, I don't believe it. Because I just feel like what I feel like the song is saying and how the lyrics run is actually very clever. It is, there is some sort of big general that which he won't do. And then he also lists other things that he wouldn't do to prove his love. But the says Wikipedia. Started. <laughs> it says Wikipedia. The four things he says he will never do are, one, forget the way you feel right now. Two, forgive myself if you don't go all the way tonight. Three, do it better than I do it with you so long. And four, stop dreaming of you every night of my life. In addition, at the song's conclusion, the female vocalist predicts two other things that he will do. You'll see that it's time to move on and you'll be screwing around. To both of these, he emphatically responds, says Wikipedia, (laughs) I won't do that. And Danny, I think we've... There's a little bit of a gotcha moment here. In a 1993 promotional interview, Steinman states that the definition of that is fully revealed in the song in each of the several verses in which it is mentioned, as Tim Byron just detailed. Well, I'm about. I'm actually in the middle of changing that Wikipedia reference right now. <laughs> so anyone finding this from the blog... I, just, I mean, it is more fun to think that it's about cunnilingus or anal sex or something. <laughs> but the, the thing that it could possibly be about, I mean, he might be saying that he just could never do a polyamorous relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but that's just not what the song is about. Like, I mean, it's just, it's not, I do anything for love, for love uh, and I won't cheat and I won't fuck around like that. Which is, is not- what I was saying before. That it should be called I would do anything for love and I won't do that rather than but I won't exactly. do that. The but no, is the wrong word. Regardless of the but and the and, that takes all <laughs> that takes that takes all the power out of the song. It just, yeah, but no one no one's saying it's meant to be a powerful song. People might just have misinterpreted it. It's meant one. to be a powerful song. It's meant to be song. a powerful <laughs> song. <laughs> Did you listen to the song? <laughs> I think basically. Um, the, the philosopher Daniel Dennett has recently talked about the idea oh, of deepities, <laughs> uh, where basically uh, the idea of a deepity is something like um, all you need is love, where there's a, a really profound but totally wrong meaning and a not particularly profound but right meaning. And what Daniel Dennett argues is we hear like phrases like all you need is love or, um, you know, love can't be defined, you know, things like that. Uh, but we hear those and we confuse the, the profoundness and the rightness of the two separate meanings and we, we sort of burst them into one and put them into one and think that they actually are profound and mean something. And I reckon that I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, is a prime example of one of Daniel Dennett's deepities. Anyway, right. the, the, the video... What, could... what do you stand on the, su- the, the sun goes round the moon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daniel Deepities, take that. So, um, so there's, a, look, there's, a, there's an extra <laughs> Daniel Deepities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who killed Mary has it, huh? Who killed Mary? Who killed Mary? 
We're still trying to make a laugh. Our third song of tonight was number one for, again, just one week in October of 1993. This is Culture Beat with Mr. Vane. Culture Beat, number one for just one week in October of 1993. This should be good, and let's start with Tim Coyle. <laughs> no real surprise that this didn't resonate with me much. When I was a kid, it's it's dance music. I had no particular affinity with dance music at the time, and this just annoyed me that this got to number one, and I had to watch it on Rage. And I think people have mentioned... <laughs> In the past, that when this came on, Rage was over. over. Yeah, yeah. So for one week, Rage was over for me when this was at the top. Now, listening to it this week, uh, I mentioned Joe Queenan earlier, and in in the book that I mentioned, he talks about going to see Geraldo, uh-huh. and the moment that he touches hands with Geraldo, he suffers a form of temporary dementia, which makes him like Billy Joel. And all the crap he is listening to. <laughs> and the thing is, after listening to Meatloaf this week, I think a, a form of temporary dementia seized me. Not you because, liked it. Not because I necessarily <laughs> like this song, but because I got anything from it. I got <laughs> there's something interesting going on here. Insofar as the dueling male and female vocals, there's almost a Rashomon thing going on here. She's saying Mr. Vane is one thing, he's saying another. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. That's not how I interpret it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've gone absolutely mad by trying to claim that this is going on, but that's what I was hearing. So, yeah, it's, okay. it's awful, but I got something from it. <laughs> okay. Casey Atkins. Um, very much the same as, as Tim from when I was a kid was like, oh, this is a dance music song. Get off my TV and out of my ears and I hate you and, and blah. Um, it's not that bad. But <laughs> 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 look, as, as there, there were heaps of these songs, right? There was like Black Box and Snap and... All of those kind of too unlimited, too unlimited, all of that that were just the same as this. And I'm never going to listen to those songs again unless it's part of this project. And this one, as far as all of those songs go, listening to it again now, yeah, it's pretty damn catchy. Sure, go ahead, have a number one with it. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Tim Byron. Yeah, um, Tim Coyle mentioned Rashomon, and my notes for this song included the words unreliable narrator. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know, uh, with like all Rashomon and Joe Queen and Daniel Dennett, we're getting very loud, lowbrow, and we're getting very highbrow. Upper middle brow. It's art house. (laughs) Upper middle brow. Yeah. This is the Dendi. Art house this week, yeah. So, um, you know, perhaps we should be, um, you know, thinking about some sort of. Uh, you know, Euro cinema kind of uh, <laughs> reference to this, like, you know, Trafal or something. And, um, <laughs> because this is Euro disco. Yeah, well, and I was talking about Igmar Bergman when we talked about Aesop Base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, this is, um, in a way, this is the first, uh, like, 
unashamedly Euro trash song that we've encountered on 90% hits. Like there's stuff before like Snap and, um, you, you know, some of the like things like Melissa that were kind of getting there. But this is the first one that actually feels like Euro disco in, in that terms of the kind of stuff <laughs> like, um, you know, LaBouche and, and um, mm. the real McCoy and stuff like that. Like this is the first song <laughs> that really sounds like that, that has that kind of really, the kind of thing that is now like incredibly cliche, that kind of girl singing, like something repetitive for most of the verse and then some guy with a stupid hat and a vest rapping <laughs> <laughs> for the middle eight and then it's back to the girl. Like this is sort of the first one of those ones that really follows that formula and really is kind of getting that to come together. And yeah, but anyway, like at the time, I don't actually remember listening to this very much or like this really being on my radar. So I don't really have much memory of it at the time, except for just sort of hearing it around. And so listening to it like this week, my main reaction was like, was that kind of pang of nostalgia of, oh, when dance music sounded like this. Yeah, 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 (laughs) totally. Like, I didn't find this as objectionable as I thought I would. It was just kind of like, oh, Euro trash. Yeah. Those are the days. <laughs> yeah. Back before all this dubstep crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, this isn't Skrillex, is it? Yeah, definitely a very strong three out of ten. That's kind of how I feel about it. <laughs> you know, it's not a one, it's not a zero, it's a three. Uh, and good on it. it was, it's kind of catchy, it's kind of nice. So I... Uh, what about Nice. <laughs> uh, it's three. Uh, yeah. But, so I had it, but I so I felt a similar way in that it didn't sound that bad, and I think I have a theory on why. Thinking listening to it this week, mm-hmm. it's because this stuff got worse. Like this yeah. was maybe in 1993. This is as bad as it got, but we're sitting in 2013 now, and Euro trash dance yeah. got a lot worse, and the sound of that barrel scraping when we get to Eric Prince or whatever. And it's just like, uh, this is just glorious compared to some of the stuff I've heard since then. So yeah. Culture B. What a band. (laughs) Were they a band? Were they, were they just a DJ collective? Yeah, it was just the two of them. Was it actually someone's name? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was was Culture Beat Jones. Um, (laughs) Beat was the middle name. What? <laughs> Culture Beat Merlo, given their German, which also was one ex- of them surname Vane. <laughs> <laughs> After the song, it was. Uh, look, massive, massive worldwide hit. One of many. Was this. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, looking at our great uh, fact checker Wikipedia. It was number one hit in 11 European countries and sold more than 10 million records worldwide, which is Whoa. so depressing. The but, single or well, an album? I'm guessing the single. Look, it's one of those things, I think I've said it before on this podcast, when I was backpacking through freaking Vienna and Prague and stuff and going out to nightclubs because of what you did, and you'd hear songs like this because you could be a happy little 20-year-old backpacker and not know any English, and this song just sounded fine. And we're going to hit a lot more of those songs. It's a song where English was not needed well, it to wasn't. get all the depth of this song. And also because English was not their first language. And they, they, they don't do too bad a job. There's a few things. Oh, like right. Mr. Raider is kind of, what? it doesn't yeah, make what sense. Is, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's possibly translated from the German Angriff, which means an aggressor. And it kind of has moral connotations. Uh-huh. So they've possibly just kind of chosen the wrong word in that regard. So that makes a little more sense, I guess. <laughs> in the context of the song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does anyone know any other songs by Culture Beat? Are no. there any other songs by Culture Beat? They've, Apart from the remixes. <laughs> they've released albums. They've released about four or five albums in Germany since, which is their hometown for those who do not know. But, yeah. Germany, that good old town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is, um, yeah, I don't know. And what else is there to say? About believe Culture it or Beat? not. There is uh, something else to say about the, Culture Beat, believe it or not. The chart stuff here. They had um, two other singles that uh, got into the top 20 in Australia. What were they? They had, um, also in 1993, got to number seven, got to get it. No. And they had anything, which got to number 12. So no. we're definitely going to post those on the, um, on the blog and we'll post like little mini reviews saying what we think about got to get it and anything. These songs by Culture Beat that we've entirely forgotten, but that were <laughs> apparently reasonably big hits. 
I'm gonna guess that they're fairly forgettable. Yes. Actually, the question I want to ask before we go: How many times have each of you gone to a nightclub? Four. <laughs> See, I think it's about two for me. More than ten, less than twenty. <laughs> uh, and we're not talking about like indie disco kind no, of places, no, no, like no, proper no, no. nightclubs. No, no. Yeah, okay. yeah. more than ten, less than twenty. More than forty, less than fifty. Oi. Yeah, I, I did a lot of that in London. Yeah. And I did a lot of, I don't know. <laughs> I just did it. I did a lot of things I wasn't proud of. Of course, Song Tonight was number one for three weeks in 1993. This song is Ace of Bass with <laughs> All That She Wants. of base number one for three weeks from the 6th of November 1993 all that she wants Ace of Base Ace of Base the third most successful Swedish band of all time how do we feel about them uh, Tim Byron why don't we start with you yeah 1993 it was the year of white reggae I mean last <laughs> week we were talking about UB40 and snow um, there was all, and snow there was all this reggae stuff in the chart like Inner Circle and now Swedish reggae, reggae from Sweden. You know, like where they just had that kind of like island life because they, you know, go to beaches like they do in Jamaica and smoke stuff. I guess they probably smoke stuff in in Sweden, I guess. You've been to Sweden, haven't you, Danny? Yeah, it's very cold. It's uh, it's hard to smoke. <laughs> Hands get really sort of sore. So it's, it's a weird place for having that kind of reggae lifestyle kind of stuff. But Ace of Bass... Yeah, I mean, listening to this at the time, the thing I remember thinking is, remember those sort of, like, tubey kind of things that you would spin around in a circle? Like, no big, long tubes, and they would make this kind of noise. Did you ever remember those from when you were, like, about this age? No. No. No, I remember. Someone does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the noise at the start of this, like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, reminds me of that kind of noise. And so (laughs) the, the thing I, the sort of weird flashback I had listening to this was like, wow. Those weird tubey things that you spit around and they make a noise. <clears throat> I haven't thought about those for 20 years and here they are. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine, right? As a, as a song, I mean, the thing I don't understand about this song is that it got into the Triple J Hottest 100 in 1993. Mm. I want to talk about that uh, in, in a second, but, yeah, let's, uh, Tim Coyle, how do you feel about this song? Well, I didn't check the the playlist too closely other than knowing that there was going to be an Ace of Base song on here. And I thought it was going to be the other one. Oh, that comes I up. I think we will be talking about. And I thought, yeah, I yeah. get to talk about the Mountain Goats. And then it's this. I was like, what? Nope. Oh, no. yeah, they did, they did have another song. And, yeah, I can see why I didn't remember this as much as the other one. Do you, do you not remember this song from the time? I do remember it. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it definitely came back to me, but the the other song, which will not be named, uh, was much bigger and much better. <laughs> we'll talk about the other so, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, yeah th- this one yeah, didn't... Uh, I think I liked it at the time from memory, and this week didn't grab me a whole lot. I found the vocal a little... Yeah, 
That's a bit awkward. <laughs> and yeah, it just felt quite flat and yeah, not so interesting. And I think I'm judging it in comparison in comparison to Meatloaf. the other song and Meatloaf. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't the greatest and but by no means the worst song we've covered in this particular series. So yeah. Okay. okay. Mm. Casey Atkins. Um, I think I was really conflicted by this song at the time because when I was saying, you know, about my hatred for all things with, and you know, dance music is was the was the root of it, but pretty much anything with an electronic drum beat, I hated in nineteen ninety three. I was really conflicted by this song because I quite actually liked it secretly back then, and um, <laughs> because like it, it is actually a really good little hook, and this week. I quite liked it still. Um, I actually think it's a really nice little hook. I think it's actually quite groovy. Um, I think she sings it. I think she sings it really well. Um, I don't mind the sound of her voice. There's things in it that chip me. I mean, that, what the fuck is that smitty saxophone sound going on? I mean, that's <laughs> abominable. But, um, but apart from that, I just kind of like it. <laughs> I got into it. Danny? Yeah, six out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so it's twice as good as, yeah, uh, as Mr. Bane. Literally and mathematically twice as good as Mr. Bane. It was as if there were two Mr. It was Mr. and Mrs. Bane. Um, this, is a, this was just kind of a fine little pop song. Okay, so obviously the production has is maybe overall terrible and has truly terrible bits. But... Uh, look, if it was produced like Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe was produced, with a little bit more pop fun, a little bit more energy to it, it would have been, you know, a great little radio pop song. As it was, it had a life as a great little radio pop mm. song. And it doesn't really... There's no real moments that make me want to just ah, hate anything. It sounds supremely Swedish. Like, <laughs> you could almost... Mm. If you were to guess where Ace of Base came from, it would be Sweden. And uh, back to Tim Byron's point, yeah, I first heard this on Triple J. And Triple J played... So, hey, you started listening to Triple J in 93. Yeah, because I had an older brother. And um, that's mm. what did it. And ah. Berlin Chair was probably on my radar already around this point. And it was what we talked about with Ratcat and Frente that really led me to this. So uh, I had an older brother... And he was 15, and so he listened to Triple J, and, you know, and Nirvana and all that was yeah. big, and it's on Triple J. Yeah. And was, it, was it possibly a case of, say, something like Dub Be Good To Me, which wasn't too long before this, but was very much seen as an alternative song, but this was put in the same bracket as that? No, I mean, look, uh, we'll probably talk about this later, and I'll just quickly mention it now, but Triple J's playlist included... Mm-hmm. The first couple of Savage Garden singles, mm. Madison Avenue, they were always trying to play around with how to get into dance. But the, yeah, but there's, a, there's parts of this that make sense as far as having a, tri- a Triple J listenership. It has a very minimalist thing going on. It's yeah. it's minimal. It's spacious. Yeah, it's not overproduced. It's not no. kind of annoying in that way. So... Yeah, but it's hardly it's hardly indie though, so it's it's kind of alternative. Yeah, but are we but are we judging that in hindsight? Rather, I I guess we are. I guess we are. And I have forgotten that um, it was on um, that hottest one hundred. And now you say Danny's just pulled it up now. Is it on that compilation? No, it's not on that compilation. But it's listed on that compilation. But that compilation had things like. Itchy and scratchy. Poor Max was. Yeah, but that was. I like Christina New and stuff like that was on those compilations. Uh, You know, Max Sharam. and, yeah. you know, things like that. I can't really look past one of my most hated bettons of all time, which is the fucking tea party with a certain side of like, fuck them. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There was a lot of that sort of stuff on there that maybe, look, it obviously, you know, it's a strange thing in Australia where because commercial radio picked up on Ace of Base, it became a pop thing. Mm. But that's a big division here. I don't know what what it would have been like in the UK or... Uh, the US, I don't think it was very big in the US, but in the UK especially, where like the Arctic Monkeys are played next to Beyonce yeah. on the same radio station, and Enemy is indie, but it's so pervasive that, you know, Ace of Base maybe fit in, and so it might not have been 
too far out for Triple J to go, oh, look, enemy are talking about Ace of Base. Maybe we should uh, spin this artist. Mm. So, yeah, it is surprising. All that she wants was um, a number one single in the UK, in Surprise Surprise Sweden, in Germany, <laughs> in Denmark, in Canada, in Austria, and it was a number two single in France, Norway, and the US. Shit. There you go. Worldwide hit. There's one thing I did want to talk about with this song, and it's what does she mean by baby? <laughs> does she mean that she yes. actually wants to have an- the- another baby as in something which is coming out of her vagina? She or does she want something to go into her vagina? Time. Yes, I did wonder the or very out. same <laughs> thing as an in or out. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay, round the, round the room, in or out. <laughs> out. <laughs> Danny. Out. I'll go with that. I'm going with it. But that brings us to our final song of tonight. This song was number one for seven weeks all up, five weeks at the end of 1993 and two weeks into 1994. Another Christmas number one for this artist. And this is Brian Adams with Please Forgive Me. doesn't know what he's doing though come on so he should stop fucking doing that, <laughs> figure it out and then possibly come back to me but so the last so on the last podcast when we talked about the last thing that was his um i said that you know i obviously hated that song it was probably the song that i hated on most since we've been doing the podcast and i said but you know we did the whole but what do we think of brian adams it was like and i don't even really hate brian adams that much there are a couple of songs blah 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 blah, blah that you know listen to that this week fuck it i hate him i fucking hate him <laughs> it's gone it's all over anything that i said about summer 69 or run to you or any of those songs all goodwill is nah fuck him i just oh like it's just so fucking formulaic and it's just that I had a song, I had a huge hit with this other song, so now I'm going to make another song that sounds just like it so I can have another hit and it worked and fucking for it. <laughs> and it's just, nah, nah. And he does that thing with his voice again where he's just like, <clears throat> like straining to get a note and like, oh, no, nah. I'm done. Next. <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? Do you forget him? the thing that surprised me about reading up on this song um in preparation for this was that this song wasn't actually from some shitty movie (laughs) no it wasn't he he didn't bother like putting like you know scenes from some movie in the in the in the video for this it was just video of him recording the thing and so it's a boring video as well there isn't like kevin costner running across a field or something um (laughs) It's a sad so day yeah, when this- you want to see footage of Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't there more Kevin Costner in the <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, as Casey said, this is like a photocopy of a photocopy of everything I do, I do it for you. Yeah. Like, it's just no one needed to photocopy that song in the first place. It already existed. Uh-huh. But Brian Adams, 
He had a Xerox machine. Mm-hmm. He had paper. He had ink. He was going to do it. And I mean, like, like Casey said, like Danny just said before, like, you know, trying to defend the song that he knows what he does. He bloody well knows what he does. He spent the whole song explaining what he does. All this shit that he does about, because, you know, like, um, he loves her more than he should. Like, how does he love, how do you love someone more than you should? Unless you're a pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Adams, pedophile. Um, I think you might need to do a legal notice now, Tim Coyle. Yeah. Um, disclaimer, yeah. Brian Adams is not a pedophile. <laughs> Tim Byron doesn't actually believe no. he's a pedophile. No reasonable person could possibly believe he's a pedophile. Tim Byron of- knows not what he does. <laughs> and none of us has met Brian Adams before we were 18. So, um, <laughs> Tim Coyle. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, when, when this came out, I was still a Brian Adams fan. Hey! I, I probably professed to liking this song, but deep in my heart of hearts knew this this was not good. This was not good at all. <laughs> and, yeah, this, this is the beginning of the end. The beginning this, of the end? Yeah, it was the beginning of the end. And Gosh. the thing is... This, as we'll see in, say, the coming year, it's almost as though the public needed a Brian Adams ballad to be at number one. Once a year. Yeah, it, it just needed it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, because so much pap starts coming from this. Well, it already had started coming from the man, but it, it, he does it, does it up a notch with this. And, yeah, and, yeah he starts driving to the hoop quite soon, <laughs> which is troubling because if this isn't driving it to the hoop, as far as crap is concerned, then we're in trouble. But, yeah, this, this is such a terrible song. <laughs> Danny, I'm a bit scared. One out of ten. <laughs> oh, okay. That's all right. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad everyone's relieved. Yeah. I think we wouldn't be friends anymore if that was, like, more than five out of ten. No, I remember this song quite clearly. I, you know, Brian Adams, he had some really good songs, like, that I love, but this was not one of them, and I hated his ballads. I mean, this was just so soppy. I mean, everything I do, I do for you was, had a hilarious, fun you laugh at sort of some of the bombasticness, but uh, but yeah, this song was just. I don't even think it's a fir- like you can't even compare it to everything I do. I do it for you, like that song. Is you a can, fucking- and we did. <laughs> but no, that song is a fucking masterpiece compared to this song. Like it is just there is a really at least beautiful hook and a bit of compassion to that song. This is and a bit of ambition. This song is. Just uh, Brian Adams by the numbers, and I, I don't know how many of you or how many people listening know the story of this song, but this was the one of the very first sort of uh, bonus tracks on the greatest hits. So it was just like you know he was just not doing anything, and after the success of everything I do, I do it for you. They thought, well, he's a ton of play on the greatest hits. He's got a whole new market. We'll sell a whole lot of records, and let's just take a new track to radio, what have you got lying around? And he went back to fucking Mutt Lang. Oh. Um, you know, and I know Australian music thing, fans think, oh, Mutt Lang, fucking ACDC. No, he's fucking Shania Twain's husband <laughs> and wrote shitty power ballads for Brian Adams and Shania Twain throughout the 90s, and this is one of them. It and is, Heart. And Heart. And Heart. <laughs> well, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> and he is also responsible for Nickelback's worst song. And that is saying something. How do you determine that? Indeed. How can you tell? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that one is because this song that. is about like how he likes the look of her when she's on her knees. Oh, oh nice. No, <laughs> oh, Chad. Mutlang <laughs> 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 is all the things up. that Avril Lavigne has to deal with now. Uh. <laughs> oh my god. Let's let's. Oh my god! I'm just gonna make a call right now, cutting that out of the podcast, just just just, just to save my memory because I can't cut it out of my brain. Um, but yeah. you do know that they have a song that that they co-wrote that's now in the charts, where they sing about where she sings about um that there's one of her songs where she sings about listening to Radiohead. It's like Danny's favorite things together, all of them. <laughs> yeah, Chad Kroger yeah. and Radiohead. Yeah, having Chad put his penis in me and listening to Radiohead 
It's kind of give and take. Um, <laughs> uh, look, back to Mutt and Brian Adams. I think they just sort of had this relationship, and I got a terrible feeling that we will come back to another collaboration between these two artists very, very soon. But it is just a terrible song, and it is just an echo. Like, we said it's a photocopy of everything I do or do for you. If that song had not come out, this song would not be number one. Correct. Yeah, it's just people going, oh, yeah, I kind of like that song, and so I'll buy his next ballad. And they shouldn't have. So, uh, a terrible song. But they did. And they did. And So many of them did. And I find it really interesting that Tim Coyle said that this was where it ended for him because I kind of feel like that's where it ended for him for a lot of people. Like, everything I do, I do it for you didn't really end it for him. Well, it didn't actually end it for him, end it for him because he just went on and on and on, getting worse and worse and worse. But I don't Still think... selling fucking millions of singles. This is not the last time we got to know no. one in this No, country. no, no. We'll be talking yeah. about him again and yeah. again and again. But it's the last time he sort of, like, he, he, from here on in, he decided to never be the guy who sang Summer of 69. Right. Can't stop this thing we started. Like he just decided to be that ballady. However, he tried to change back at a point because when was um eighteen till I die? <laughs> that was that was yeah later. That was like, like ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight, ninety seven. And that was him trying to go back. He was trying to was sort that- of. You was go. that the album that had um, the only thing that looks good on me is, is you? you? Yes, that's exactly right. <sighs> Eighteen till I die. The only thing that looks good on me is you. Yeah, exactly. And that's when he tried to be Bon Jovi again. Um, although Bon Jovi's got the the you know got his ballad in him as well, but I don't put any of the Bon Jovi ballads anywhere near. Oh, this. Bon Jovi never wrote anything as bad as this. No, no, like things like always. He tried those kind those of songs. <laughs> he did he, try. No, he tried. He gave it a pretty good crack, but um, but he never got never got this bad. But yeah, Brian Adams. He, he tried to get back to the rock of his past, and I think at that point, by that point, everybody caught bullshit on it and just you know knew exactly what he was trying for, and like, no, nah, you haven't got it anymore. You're not going to get it back. Just fuck off, dude. Well, and then Brian's career obviously extends. He's Brian now, is he? Well, (laughs) (laughs) that dick's career obviously (laughs) extends uh, well into today. And so, actually, no, that's that's harsh. He's an okay guy, and 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 that's actually what I want to get to. But we will have a chance to talk about. Brian Adams today when we talk about his next appearance oh, sweet Jesus in story. the charts in a few weeks. <laughs> that brings us to the end of another week's worth of uh, of number one songs in <laughs> uh, 90% hits. And oh, as usual, we're going to go around the table and see what was everyone's favourite uh, out of the five songs we talked about tonight. And just to recap, we talked about Billy Joel's River of Dreams, Meatloaf, I do anything for love, open brackets, but I won't do that, close brackets. Culture Beat with Mr. Vane, Ace of Bass, All That She Wants, and Brian Adams, Please Forgive Me. Tim Byron, what's your favourite out of that five? This is a hard one because I've got to choose, but like, there's an easy choice in that it's not going to be any of the last three. It's going to be either River of Dreams or I Would Do Anything for Love, open brackets, etc. Um, and I think I'm going to go for Billy Joel. I think I'm going to go for River River of Dreams. I I think it's it's lasted slightly better because um, I I mean, Meatloaf makes me laugh quite a lot now. Like there's a bit in that Meatloaf song where he's like, "I would do anything for love," and then it goes da da, and I just laughed and laughed when I heard that (laughs) this week. So. Actually, maybe I'll pick Meatloaf. Oh, <laughs> just for that bit, making me laugh. <laughs> okay, uh, Tim Coyle. Such a difficult week, and because I'm claiming temporary sanity over this, due to the effects of if if I could, I would do anything for love. I'm actually going to pick um, Ace of Base because probably. The least horrible, most horrible song on this entire list was Billy Joel. And the cognitive dissonance involved in me actually citing Billy Joel as my favorite song this week would actually make my head explode. So, yeah, 
Ace of base, all that she wants. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Again, a really tough way because there's no clear song that I just like straight up love. Like there usually is at least one. Like there's like a, a Rush by Big Audio Dynamite or, you know, something like that that's just a clear song that you love and there's not one of these this week. Um, for the song that I probably got the most out of listening to and thought about the most, I think it goes to Meatloaf this week. I have to agree, it's Meatloaf. Mm. Billy Joel kind of comes close and the other three are, uh, but yeah, it's Meatloaf. So I think Meatloaf is the clear winner for this week. Uh... Yes, good on you, Meatloaf. It's been a while and this is going to be an extra bonus that. long version of this podcast that's just going to go for two hours <laughs> because it's just going to repeat bits at different sections for no reason. And, my, and Michael Bay is going to shoot the video clip <laughs> <laughs> Casey Atkins, do you want to tell people where they can find us on the internet? Absolutely. You can find us on Facebook. We are 90% Hits. You can email us 90%Hits at gmail.com. You can find us at 90% Hits on Twitter. And you can find us um, on Tumblr, 90%Hits.tumblr.com. Probably the most happens on the t- uh, on the Tumblr. Um, so there's some great stuff on there, um, especially Tim Coyle and Byron write heaps of great stuff on the blog. Danny writes some. I write overall. <laughs> it's all really, really uh, great stuff, so go and check it out. And please leave some comments um, on the blog or on Facebook, um, and we, we read each and every bit of feedback. It's all great. And also, feel free to leave us um, comments and ratings on iTunes. Uh, it helps us to get more well-known, and we want more people to hear us and do what we do. So, um, you know... If you put in ratings and you leave comments on iTunes, like many lovely people have already done, thank you if, you, if you're one of those people and you listen. Um, yeah, it'll help us get well-known and, um, and great things will happen. And one more thing from us is that if you've made it to the end of this podcast, we've been struggling to think of a good sign-off. Something along the lines of everything we do, we do this for you, but not that one. Definitely not that. So if you have a good but idea... But we won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a good idea for please, a great... Please forgive us. For classic sign-off, you know, like uh, Society's to Blame by Denton or something like that, let us know and we will include it and we will thank you for it. Uh, until then... So all that Danny wants is another baby and for you to think of a good sign-off for us. Exactly. And also we are going to be taking a couple of weeks off as... Over the winter, as some of us are going way overseas and just taking a break. So we will return in about three weeks with a podcast where we wrap up the end of 1993, one of our regular Choose Your Adventure shows where we talk about songs that we loved from 1993. But there will still be activity on the blog and things like that leading up to it. So until someone gives me a good catchphrase to end with, thanks for listening. To the jungle of truth? Through the river of jungle of doubt? No. Forest of doubt. Forest of doubt, jungle of truth. We're trying to talk about the river of dreams, sorry. Through the parking lot of (laughs) despair. (laughs) 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 Through the swimming pool of uncertainty. <laughs> the garage had just spawned. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>